Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting from Coronado, California, where the women are strong, the men are good-looking, and the children are all well above average. Just ask any parent, and they will tell you so. The summer is almost over, and Eb and I will be together in the KVOI Broadcast Center two weeks from now. Eb, I haven't seen you in months. I'm looking forward to seeing you on the 18th when our featured guest will be Richard Evans on the 80th anniversary of the Atlantic Charter. Hey, buddy, do you have any special plans for the long Labor Day weekend? Yeah, I'm actually just going to relax. I may end up cooking a brisket uh, Sunday just because. And everybody loves a good brisket. Yeah, well, you know, I went to synagogue this morning, and we are just hours away from the start of Rosh Hashanah, the start of the Jewish New Year, 5782. Chag Sameach to all of our Jewish listeners this afternoon. Happy New Year. And, Eb, you know, if you were Jewish, you would also be cooking a brisket, because that's one of our favorite uh, dishes for the— uh, for for the era uh, uh, of Rosh Hashanah meal. And that's exactly um, hey, th- why I'm doing it, Bruce. There you go. Uh, and a kugel as well. Um, okay. Thanks for tuning in to a special Labor Day weekend edition of Inside Track. Eb, take it away. Hey, we've got another great show today. In just a few moments, we're going to be talking to an old friend of the show, retired NYPD officer Sean Fund about the 9-11 Tower Challenge as well as the MIA project. After the bottom of the hour break, we're going to talk to Obamacare or talk about Obamacare on steroids. The public option now being promoted by socialists in the U.S. House with Dr. Lee Gross from Epiphany Healthcare who makes an argument against the public option. If you don't know Lee, you're going to enjoy him. He has a great new take on healthcare. Hey, it's another action-packed show. Fasten your seatbelts. Thanks for joining us. We've got a lot to discuss. Bruce. This portion of the show brought to you by Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend upon socialist security. Call Abat. 777-1911, and let him help you also. Speaking of Eb Wilkinson, Eb, it's been a big week since we last talked on the radio. It has. They just keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, besides a lackluster job by the Obama White House team on Hurricane Ida and America's surrender, which stranded many thousands uh, of, of Americans in Afghanistan, President Apostrophe praised his own great evacuation efforts. I think we can all agree the evacuation was not only humiliating, but not exactly the same as the Churchillian effort made to the rescue of the British expeditionary forces off the Dunkirk beaches in 1940, was it, Ab? No, not at all. And can you believe that PR play concocted by the surrender team in the White House? National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain and good old Baghdad Bob Clown talking head at the Pentagon, Admiral Kirby, Kabul Kirby, as we'll call him from now on, perpetuating Biden's lies and failed policies. Now, they're suggesting that we provide billions more to the Taliban, not that we haven't given them billions already. I'm just waiting for uh, Biden to come out and send over uh, 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 guys to repair all the helicopters so that the Taliban will like us. They already got $84 billion of arms from the U.S. to oppress that country. And, you know, what the hell, 
you know, what what's next, Bruce? I mean, f- to fight ISIS when it's clear to many that ISIS and the Haqqani network is a Taliban proxy to help flack for the murderers who control Afghanistan today. Treason, Eb, is a very specific crime, and I'm not suggesting at this time, nor am I qualified to suggest that the actions of the Joint Chiefs, the Secretary of Defense, or the President would, in a legal sense, make them guilty of treason. But can an argument be made, do you think, that their actions represent a dereliction of duty uh, that was not in the national interest? Their plan helped uh, cause the loss of life for those 13 service members in the airport bombing about 10 days or so ago. And they endangered the lives of potentially thousands of Americans. They stranded behind enemy lines. Now, Eb, you're a Marine Corps veteran. Yes. Uh, he walked away from uh, Shauna Chappelle, uh, whose uh, son, uh, Kareem, was killed. Um, she criticized him to his face. Uh, at Dover earlier this week, next to her son's uh, casket. Um, And what did the president do? He rolled his eyes, threw up his arms, and said, what do you expect me to do? Um, What do you think of their reckless decisions? Do you think hearings should be held examining their actions and their potential removal from positions of trust? They should have already been started. Listen, as the president of the United States, his role in that position is to let her vent let her scream, let her get all that stuff out and not say one word and show empathy towards her. And he did not do that. The only thing he did was say, oh, let me tell you about my son. You know, right. you, you think you have it's a bad... Let me, yeah, it's all about him. And as a leader, you cannot do that. Your goal is to protect those people and he did everything but that. So this week, Joe Biden and his PR surrogate stood before millions of Americans praising their stupendous efforts when they should have taken the blame for the disaster they caused. Heck, JFK did so after the Bay of Pigs, Reagan did after the Beirut bombings, and even Bill Clinton, for crying out loud, but not Lion Biden. How shameful. Now, in another life or death situation, Democrats have again chosen death. The U.S. Supreme Court decided they would not hear an emergency request on Texas legislation curtailing abortions by pro-abortion groups. Of course, there was a reaction by Nancy Pelosi and her maligned supporters in the U.S. House to pass the misnamed Women's Health Protection Act. Now, that should actually be renamed the Unborn Children's End of Life Act. That's how how cynical uh, their action is. And our Catholic president, who apparently fails to follow the precepts of his church, kind of an a la carte Catholic, promised a whole whole of government effort, whatever the heck that means, to respond to Texas law. And once again, Joe Obama blasted the Supreme Court for their decision to save unborn children. And I think this is dangerous language by our president who promised to bring America together, and he's done anything but washed-up star and woke leader Big Mouth Bette Midler shot back with a gem demanding women refuse sex on demand until abortion was legal everywhere and at any time. That's easy for her to refuse sex, and you know why. Absolutely. She she tweeted criticizing Republicans for piling on yet another shock to women. She says the cruelty of the GOP is endless. 
We are suffering COVID-19, hurricanes, apocalyptic flooding, wildfires from hell, joblessness, homelessness, evictions, racial strife. And they picked this hideous time to pile on yet another shock to women by taking away their right to choose. And She's violating lying about exactly and violating unborn women's rights. It's unbelievable. Mr. Producer, let's go to our first break. When we return, friend of the show, an MIA project activist and leader, Sean Fun, joins us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing metal plate and roofing materials as well as new and used steel aluminum and stainless steel to ranchers artists interior designers roofers and do-it-yourselfers just like all the listeners here tucson iron and metal retail is open monday through fridays 8 a.m to 4 30 p.m and saturdays 8 a.m to noon tucson iron and steel retail 701 east 36th street Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. Ask not! What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by our friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. They've got some of the best surplus stock uh, available to help you with your next project. And a big shout out to friend of the show, Eric Rudin, and his professional team at Essential Pest. From bugs and pests to vermin and termites, Eric's team of professionals have been safeguarding Arizona homes and businesses since the 1970s. Call Essential Pest at 520-886-8039. These are two great locally owned companies that you should be depending on. Bruce and I do, so should you. Insiders, Bruce and I are pleased to welcome friend of the show, activist, and patriot, Sean Fund, back to Inside Track. But before we get to the reason for your visit today, Sean, we've got something special for you. Birthday greetings, bottle of wine. If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64. <laughs> hey, Sean, happy birthday. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that greatly. Yeah. Very apropos. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> hey, you were a New York City policeman when those airliners crashed into the towers. I was. Um, I actually had left New York City 
Oh, really? And I was actually in the police academy in Phoenix, and we had just uh, completed a run. And I came back in, the whole cafeteria was cleared except one little TV cart like we used to have in high school and a black and white TV. And I grabbed one of the young recruits by the arm and I said, what's going on? He said, a plane just flew into the Twin Towers. And as I'm walking over to the, to the TV set, I'll never forget focusing in on the set. And here came plane number two. So it was, you know, obviously devastating for myself and a lot of other people. Um, the 20th anniversary uh, this year is a milestone, unfortunately, you know, a negative one, uh, but a positive one to try and bring our country back together. We unfortunately have been, there's been great efforts made to separate us on many fronts, and this should be used as an occasion to bring us back together to remind Americans, regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of anything else that might separate us, that we are all, in fact, Americans. And when we choose to act together, we can accomplish great things. And the 9-11 um, tower um, travesty is, is something that Americans can look back on and, and reflect on how they came together and responded. And uh, it's a bittersweet thing for me 20 years later. I had a, a childhood friend, actually, too, um, Sergeant Johnny Coughlin, who was in ESU 13, and uh, Johnny uh, Cortazzo, who was a Port Authority canine cop, uh, both were lost. John was Johnny Cortazzo was lost as effects of 9/11, but my my buddy John Coughlin unfortunately was in the tower when Tower One fell. Yeah, and, I, I remember that day. It was devastating watching that second plane hit, and at that point, the entire world changed. Yes. Hey, um, yes. you've been involved with the 9-11 Tower Challenge for some time. Yes. Uh, tell our listeners about the challenge. So the Tower, the tower Challenge, um, which has formerly been held at the U uh, University of Arizona, will be held at the Tucson Convention Center this year. And what the whole challenge is about is to raise money um, for the uh, Tower Foundation charities. They give money to... Um, first responders, law enforcement personnel, military, their families, to help them. And especially if um, some or all of them have uh, sustained a loss with regard to um, 9-11. So you're walking as many steps as there are floors in um, the World Trade Center. So um, last year it took me about two and a half hours to do it twice. And I normally do it twice because I do it once for the living. Those of us who have been left behind and have to deal with this, and then those who have, as to honor those who have fallen and were lost on that day or lost subsequently. I've lost a couple of friends that work with me uh, when I was in New York City um, that have died from after effects from 9-11. I had uh, looked at a website and was looking at some of the statistics and to date, and uh, one of the amazing things I saw was they said you had a 40%, 46% increase of contracting a cancer or some form thereof um, if you arrived on day one. And wow. then the number went, went down from that day, and that's because of all the asbestos, concrete, dirt, cinder block uh, residue, whatever you can 
you know, whatever he can think of was flying around in the air. And uh, it's unfortunate. You know, we're still losing. uh, I saw on Facebook one of um, our mutual friends, one of the detectives just passed the other day. So it's it's not something that unfortunately is ever out of anyone's mind to have lost loved ones at 9-11. But um, it's something we remember, again, for two reasons, for the loss of life. And the honorable lives they all did while they were living, but plus also um, a reflection on how America can band together, become united, and, and accomplish goals. Because the rebuilding of that tower or the building is was a monumental task. I was there through a couple different stages of the building um, being resurrected, if you will. And it's just an amazing thing to go and experience. I encourage everyone who goes to New York to take the time and go there, you will be moved in one way or another. I was in New York in July and had a chance to uh, visit that and the museum, and boy, it is moving. It is extremely moving. So do you remember going down the escalator and going past what they refer to the blue wall? Yes. So what a lot of people don't realize is all the remains of everyone who was recovered Mm. on that site is behind that blue wall. And uh, people can say what they want, but I'll tell you that there is an electricity you feel. I'm going to call it electricity. You feel a presence you feel. You are correct. When you're in that area, you really do. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Bruce. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining us today. And oh, you're um, welcome. You know, maybe just a little bit of a d- digression before we talk about the MIA project uh, for a second. And, you know, on 9-11, it was in the nature, in the training, but but more in the nature of those New York City first responders, whether they were EMTs or firemen or, or police officers, canine officers, every single one of them, they ran toward trouble. And just how, and that was the beginning of this 20 years of terror that, that we've been dealing with and living through. And then to leave the, the cynicism of the president or whoever on his staff to cynically set 9-11 as, as the date that we would leave uh, Afghanistan. And, and more than anything else, the way that our, our people were left and the way that our, our troops left, the things that, that the, the armaments we left behind, we ran in the other direction at the order of the president and our military uh, chiefs. It just it strikes me as just so hurtful and, and, and just so inhumane. It's outside of anyone that I know within the military or law enforcement or fire department to act in such a manner. Um, it, it totally rubs against everyone's grain. It, it is an outrage. It is a loss to America. And there's no way that you can make it better other than go back and get them, go back and get them. And if, if military personnel were given the opportunity to do so, they would do so with the honor that they um, are, they maintain as representatives of our military and first responders and law enforcement for that matter. It's just, uh, I'm sure a majority of your listeners, it just um, causes us to get very upset and, uh, to try and describe this uh, on the same day of uh, the 9-11 tragedy um, because he wants a show was reprehensible. 
So another one of your passions is the MIA project. Uh, I hope you have an event coming up soon, a ceremony, um, because it's been some time since public ceremonies have been able to take place for the project. And, and you know, again, I mean, what you do, uh, remembering uh, those who who served in our in our military and who served America um, and and didn't have a people to to look out over them and, and bury them. I just think that is so American and so patriotic. I've been very fortunate, uh, Bruce, in my uh, let's see, this is almost since like 2012, 2011. I've been doing this and. Um, it's an honor to do so. Our organization, Missing in America Project, uh, we some refer to it as MIAP, um, which we do just to bring the verbiage down. But it's an honor to represent these men and women who have given their life for their country. They signed on a piece of paper and said that they would do whatever they were ordered to do or told to do uh, on behalf of our nation. And to realize that there are vets out there on the street we're living on the streets still. We're living as singles in apartments and have no contact with anybody, any family. Um, it, it's my honor to try and locate, identify, and then recover these individuals, as well as other people. I mean, our whole organization here in Arizona and throughout the United States, it's all volunteer. This is my way of giving back, of saying thank you. My, my dad was in the service and many of my uncles and friends. And uh, this is my way to say thank you. So we is there a, a ceremony we, Is there a ceremony yeah. scheduled sometime soon? Yes. We have a scheduled, our next, what we refer to our mission, our next mission is on October 9th. Um, we have um, 34 veterans right now, uh, and I believe, we yes, we've passed the cutoff date. We try and limit it because... Um, and and hold individuals if the family if the if we're allowed to do so um we have 34 individuals that's going to be one of the largest ones we've ever done um it will be at the adair we'll start off at the adair um funeral home on northern and oro valley and then we'll have a police escort and there'll be a majority of uh, uh, military organizations driving motorcycles and uh, having flags out and whatnot and cars, which we refer to as cages, we'll give them an escort all the way up to the uh, cemetery. We'll have a honor guard there, and uh, they'll take charge of um, our veterans. And we have a short ceremony, and uh, they do the uh, uh, gun salute and the taps at the end, and yeah. then they're placed in the cremorium after the fact. Will the public be uh, permitted to attend? Yes, absolutely. This one's open to the public. Last year we did it virtually because of COVID-19. So we're welcoming the public to uh, participate. And usually in the past, when we've had public, we've had two to 300 people show. So it's a great outpouring of uh, support for our, our veterans. What time on October 9th will the uh, mission take place? If you choose to go to the uh, uh, the cemetery, it'll start at 11 o'clock. If you choose to come to the um, uh, the Adair uh, funeral home, it'll be around 8:30. We'll have a short denominational um, 
ceremony. We'll have a uh, we'll walk through the cremains to a flag line into the hearse, and then we'll proceed with the uh, escort. Well, uh, listeners, uh, who, whoever might be uh, listening to this show, I hope that you will take time. Um, I can't speak for Eb, uh, but I certainly plan to be there. Uh, Thirty-four uh, of our uh, military veterans uh, being taken home uh, and um, and honored by the MIA project. That's just I just think it's a it's it's an act of love and 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 dignity. Uh, for all these men and women, and, and that's the important thing to to know, I guess, Sean. It's not just men. It, there are women who uh, whose remains are also being um, dignified this way. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. It's men and women who have enlisted or were former um, military members and also their spouses. Hmm. So their spouses are also rendered next to them. And, Bruce, um, I can't overemphasize how personal and how emotional it is when you hear the taps and that 21-gun salute, it just, yep. for me, it just gets me every time. Yep. And I'll mention that if, if anyone has or seeks more information about Missing in America Project, they can do two things. They can go to Google, of course, and type in MIAP in Arizona, or they could go to the Internet, and if they type in um, um uh, U.S., and then there'll be a uh, a screen, and they pick Arizona, they'll get the same information. Most of the information I've seen on Google is also um, on our particular site. And then, of course, for the 9-11 Tower Foundation, they have a website. Um, I actually have a post that's connected to the website. Any of my friends that are out there can look for me on Facebook. I have a link up and I'm asking for donations. Last year, my friends and family were very generous and helped me uh, overshoot the goal I had twice um, for donations to the for the 9/11 um, Tower Challenge here in Tucson. Sean, well, we'll be we'll be looking for that, and and Ed, take us away. Yeah, Sean, thanks for joining us, Mr. Producer. Uh, we're ready for our bottom of the hour break. When we return, Dr. Lee Gross from Epiphany Health will join us. Stay tuned to Inside Track. We'll be right back. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing, and then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through, but that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house, we sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. 
only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce here. I'm broadcasting remotely from Coronado, California. Eb is in the luxurious KVOI studios with producer Tom. <laughs> I'm anxious to get back into the studio with Eb again in just a couple of weeks. Before we get to our special guest, Lee Gross, now is a perfect time to call Corazon Cabinets to get a jump on your next home improvement project. No supply chain problem on cabinets being available. At Corazon, Joy and Allie have their 6,000 square foot warehouse stacked to the ceiling with beautiful cabinets ready for your next home project. Call and speak to the design professionals at 520-488-2266. Our order of beautiful Corazon cabinets is due in any day, and we are very anxious to see how they dress up and make our kitchen and baths at, in our home not only modernized but more functional. Course on cabinets, 520-488-2266. On to our special guest, Dr. Lee Gross. Dr. Gross is one of a growing number of American doctors dedicated to stabilizing the cost of healthcare and giving options back to patients as opposed to forcing government decisions on what is good for his patients. Welcome, Dr. Gross. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Greetings from steamy and sunny Southwest Florida. <laughs> it is steamy down there. Tell, tell us a little about your background, uh, about Epiphany Health and your group, Docs for Patient Care. Yeah, absolutely. So Epiphany Health is the name of my practice. I'm a primary care doctor. Uh, I've been practicing for a little over 20 years. And Epiphany is a strange name for, name for a medical practice, but in fact, we did have an Epiphany. And while we were fighting with the insurance companies and so many third parties were getting in the relationship between the doctor and the patient, uh, we decided we were going to get off the hamster wheel. We were going to contract directly with our patients, and we were going to create a subscription-based primary care program where we charge a flat monthly fee for unlimited medical care in our practice. So for our practice, it's uh, $75 a month for adults. $30 for one child and $15 a month for each additional child. And after that, we charge nothing for any services that we provide in our office. So unlimited office visits, unlimited procedures, unlimited technology visits, uh, any in-office testing included at no additional charge. Uh, and we quickly realized that that the insurance companies and the government were actually not conduits to care, but they were becoming barriers to care. And so while the Affordable Care Act uh, was giving people coverage, they were handing out insurance cards that had these $8,000 deductibles effectively uh, keeping them still uninsured. So Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the organization of which I'm the president, is, the, is a nonprofit organization of practicing physicians around the country dedicated to creating a healthcare environment in the country that places doctors and patients first. Uh, 
Uh, and so we work with state and federal governments to help create policies, to help pass legislation, to help support the doctor and patient relationship. So, so Dr. Gross, are, are you and your and your partners are are they are you all really kind of like a concierge doctor? Well, you could. It's sort of an offshoot of the concierge program. Typically, in most yeah. concierge arrangements, they charge a very high fee, uh, which gives you extra access. Uh, but then they still typically take insurance, and so they'll, they'll still typically bill your insurance for any service that's provided in the office mm. on top of that fee. Uh, the direct primary care practices are, you know, essentially the membership fee is the is the cost to actually get the care that you need. So there's no surprise medical bills. You don't come in for one thing and then get a bill for $200 in the mail because you you know you mentioned the wrong thing or the wrong code was sent to the insurance company. So again, our epiphany was why are we insuring primary care? We don't insure gasoline for your car. We don't insure lawn mowing for your home. But why are we using an insurance company in between every single interaction that a doctor or a patient has and then getting upset that the insurance companies are controlling the decisions, the government's controlling the decisions? Well, the, the the cost of the service is very affordable, very, very reasonable. I, I think that's a great service. Um, look, you've stated uh, several leading members of Congress are preparing hearings to promote a public option, a government insurance program that would in time replace private insurance. You go on to say as a doctor, quote, I share the urgency to reform health care, but in my experience, the public option is the wrong approach. So why is Congress willing to uh, shove the public option down the throats of all Americans uh, and, and talk about your concerns about them doing that? Yes, I think any any expansion of the, of the government into health care is, is a move in the wrong direction. I mean, we've seen that Medicare is on the verge of insolvency. Uh, the, the Medicare trust funds only has funds to pay for Medicare until, the, until uh, 2026 when they run out of money. Uh, yet they're still trying to expand access to that program and put more people under, under that. Uh, and so if you're going to continue to expand and try to get basically everyone under Medicare, which is the goal, you know, the goal is Medicare for all, uh, essentially complete government takeover of healthcare. The way that you do that is through creating public, uh, public options that basically have a competitive advantage to private industry. And when the government comes in and they start price fixing and setting controls and, and, limiting options and rationing care, uh, then it essentially eliminates all other options. So what you're seeing right now in the budget-making process, this multi-trillion dollar, this multi-trillion dollar budget that, that Bernie Sanders is presently in control of, uh, they are pushing a, a, an option in there that, that now creates Medicare coverage for eyeglasses, uh, vision, and, and dental services. And what they're saying is it's going to take years for them to roll out because they have to create an entirely new billing system for mm. for eyeglasses. So now while well, you can go in and choose your frames, you can choose whether you want progressive lenses, whether you want bifocals, you can choose whether you want you know three pairs of glasses, whether you want some that are tinted. Uh, once the government takes over that control and they step into that space, you will have one choice, one choice only. They will determine what you can have, when you can have it. Uh, and you will essentially completely block out all competition. And so if there's an eyeglass world or some other place or some online place that can sell them cheaper or do it more efficiently, they're going to go ahead and just mark their prices up directly to the Medicare price. And, 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 and again, you're blocking out competition. Dr. Gross, my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, who is waiting patiently uh, to talk with you, 
is not a very frequent user of healthcare, uh, but recently he had need for uh, specialized treatment, and I know he has special he has several questions <laughs> yeah. uh, to follow up with yeah. you. Ab, go ahead. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Gross, uh, once again, welcome. I went to your website. I read your article. Uh, it looks great. It looks like you're the uh, stereotypical old-fashioned family practice doctor bringing, bringing family practice care right to the individual. Absolutely. And that was never more important and more obvious than during this pandemic when it took Medicare and the government three months to recognize the invention of the telephone. <laughs> you know, or computer. And, and, Right, and they had to create specialized codes and, and create you know, billing billing rules around how a doctor during a pandemic can interact with a patient over the telephone. Uh, we didn't have to do that in our practice. We did house calls to vulnerable patients. We did parking lot visits. We did phone visits. We did Skype visits. Whatever we had to do, because our options are not limited by some artificial bureaucrat that's making decisions on how we run our practice. Yeah, my late wife was a family practice doctor, and uh, she ran her practice that same way. She get, got rid out of the big uh, got got out of the big group practice, went solo, and a lot of her stuff was uh, sliding scale uh, uh, to the point of great. You give me five massages, I'll do this for you type stuff, and it really brings medicine back down to the way that it should be. Um, Paper records, electronic medical records, which one? Well, we presently use electronic medical records. I think there are some people that use paper, but our electronic medical record is not a cash register like most of them are. You know, we don't use our electronic medical record to to click as many boxes to run up the bill as high as possible, to, to, to pull as much money out of the patient as an ATM as possible. Our electronic medical, medical record is designed to document the clinical story so that you can actually read a note and tell why the patient was there. So I can write something in three lines to, to capture the, the essence of my office visit instead of the 16 pages of gobbledygook I'd have to generate in, in an electronic record to bill Medicare. Well, to that point, you stated in your article, we must modernize our health care system by reforming the outdated rules and red tape that come between the patients and the doctors. What does that look like? Well, for starters, it, it says let's stop ensuring the routine care and making the routine care affordable and predictable for everyone. Now, we're just one option in that, but there are many people that are that have opted out and just decided we're just going to make things more affordable. Because every time you put a third party in the middle of that relationship, and every time you have to file claims for all these interactions, every single one of these hands in the middle of that process needs to get paid. Uh, and so every time that claim is touched, it runs up the cost of the care. And every time somebody sets an arbitrary rule, it limits options for patients. And so, you know, in that world, it makes routine and predictable care affordable. So besides government bureaucrats or computers telling Americans how much health care they can get under the public option plan, the cost of the public option plan could increase taxes uh, by over $800 billion over the next 10 years. It's $4,000 extra tax for middle-income taxpayers. Talk about the income or talk about that impact of the higher taxes. There's no doubt that, you know, these, these services have, have a cost. Uh, you know, you can't just, you know, medical school is not free. Uh, staffing for these offices is not free, especially as we're talking about, you know, driving up the, the minimum wages. We're talking about 
large large inflation that you know, medical practices are not immune from inflation costs right now and our medical supply costs are skyrocketing. All of those will, will essentially get passed on to the taxpayer and onto the individuals which are still paying for their services. So if you look at countries that have socialized medicine, it's not unheard of for them to see 60% income tax. Uh, whereas you look towards nations like Singapore, which have a very similar system to what we're discussing here, which is a free market-based competition. Uh, for all the routine care, and then the insurance comes in and kicks in for the high-end stuff, for the cancers, for the hip replacements, and so forth. Uh, so you're not going to shop around your heart attack. You're not going to shop around your bypass surgery, although we've proven that you actually can do that and save some, and save quite a bit of money. Hmm. You write in your July 28th article that uh, the public option would also restrict the services and technologies that are covered and that Medicaid is nearly four times more likely to deny an insurance claim than private insurance, and that uh, Medicare is slow to cover the new technologies. For instance, taking a decade longer than private insurance to cover disposable in- insulin pumps, and uh, given the public option would likely uh, pay low reimbursement rates, some healthcare providers basically just opt out of that or raise the prices of people uh, with private insurance causing higher premiums. So how is any of this going to improve the individual health outcomes and health care for America if we depend on that? It, it's not. You know, a top-down centralized approach where the bureaucrats in, in Washington make your health care decisions uh, is not the way to, to fix health care. If you're looking for the, the, triple, the triple aim, which is increased quality, increased, increased choice, and decreased cost, you can only get all three of those things in a free market competitive healthcare system. You're not going to get it in a, in a fixed price uh, monopoly through, through government takeover and still expect that you're going to have choices uh, and lower costs, and you're certainly not going to have the increased quality. Yeah. I have a, we have uh, departments within our hospital, entire departments dedicated just to reporting numbers to, Medi- to Medicare. Yeah, that's insane. Just insane. I've got a uh, second home down in Mexico, and one of the things that's unique is I can go down there and pretty much get any antibiotic, any uh, heart medication, uh, ivermectin. I didn't say it, not for horses. Um, and and yet the FDA has failed us on the cost of these pharmaceuticals. Uh, how do we? Uh, it takes forever t- for things to get approved. How do we? Uh, how do we improve that? Yeah. So. The, the generic prescriptions are extremely affordable. Uh, in fact, you know, the, most of the direct primary care practices, which is, which is what you call my practice, you call it a direct primary care, most of the practices that do what I do, they have in-house wholesale dispensing pharmacies. So we can actually treat a month's worth of high blood pressure, a month's worth of high cholesterol, and, and, and diabetes with oral medications for, for less than a dollar a month. That's wow. how affordable these medications are. It's when you start getting into the brand name, the brand name medications, and I think that's where, where you know, President Trump and his administration was working on, um, you know, creating some parity with the with the developed nations around the world that the United States is no longer going to pay for the development and subsidize it for all the countries that have socialized health care. We're all going to go ahead and, and share the, the, the development costs, and the United States is going to participate in a market-based uh, approach. That's not happening. That's not happening now. Um, you know, they definitely can streamline the development of these medications it takes about 12 years on average right now to bring a new uh, medication to, to market. Again, heavy bureaucratic regulation, although it only took a year to bring the vaccine to, to FDA approval, but, um, but typically it's 12 years. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about the uh, Trump vaccine that Biden and uh, Kamala Harris are pushing heavily. 
that exact one, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which so, I personally have taken. So. Sure, and, and I'm not denying that. I personally have as well. You know, I'm, I just think it's interesting that uh, at first, you know, they they were against it before they were for it. Um, hey, can you talk about the primary care docs and concierge medicine and, and how that impacts uh people right now and is there a network of people such as yourself that are doing uh more of a subscription type thing versus concierge and where does that differ yeah so the, again the key words are direct primary care uh well we were one of the one of the early ones in the country we've been doing this for about 11 years here in florida uh we started off with about a dozen of us around the country now they're pro- approaching 2,000 individual practices around the country and if you, you incorporate some of the, the groups that are expanding this, it's, it's well into the thousands. Uh, but you can, you can certainly do an Internet search for direct primary care and find practices near you. Uh, there's a website called DPC, as in direct primary care, dpcfrontier.com. And there's a map that you can look at and see practices near you, and it'll tell you the prices, which are you know, very depending on, on the various practices. Uh, but this is something that's definitely taken over, you know, taking over the the cares the fastest growing sector uh, in innovation in the United States in healthcare. So dpcfrontier.com. Yes, perfect, Bruce. Uh, you know, I, I uh, doctor, I I used to wear glasses. I've worn contact lenses since fifth grade. Uh, part of the reason was I I hated being being uh, called four eyes by my friends. Um, it. It seems uh, almost unimaginable that in this country of, of great diverse thinking, that everybody might be forced to wear the same color, the same sort of frames, and kind of look like commie glasses, you know? Um, it, do, do the people who dream up this stuff, I mean, do they know how sort of inherently against the, the, the nature of, a, of American society, this top-down driven um, sort of medicine actually is? Yeah, I don't, I, I think people you know, feel that it's benevolent to go ahead and, and give away stuff to, to the needy. And I, and I, and there's definitely virtue in that. There's no question about it, that, that a generous and wealthy society like the United States needs to take care of our vulnerable people. Um, but we also have to recognize that this is a country of 330 million people and what works in Manhattan does not work in Tucson, Arizona, and what works in Southwest Florida doesn't work in Oregon. And so to take a one-size-fits-all approach to the entire nation and the entire diversity of our cultures and our population uh, is an absolutely absurd uh, consideration when you think about that. I mean, we're, we're at a point in, in, our, in, in, in healthcare in the world where we can tailor somebody's treatment down to their own individual DNA. We can do a DNA analysis and, and tailor their treatments to their DNA, at the same time, we're saying we need a bureaucratic control and everybody gets the same exact treatment, following the same exact protocols. It, it defies logic. Hmm. Did I and hear we're doing you it in, so- the, in, in the nature, or we're doing it in, in you know, with, with the argument that it's going to bring down costs. Show me where Medicare has brought down the cost of anything. No, it hasn't. Not, not, I don't think it's brought down costs at all. Um, did, did I hear you say earlier, doctor, that during uh, the uh, early months of uh, the Chinese virus that uh, you and your doctor colleagues uh, were making house calls? Absolutely. We had our elderly, vulnerable patients that were terrified to leave their homes, uh, but they still need medical care. And so we would pick up our little black bag and head on down to their houses and, and take care of them at home so they didn't have to leave their house and, and put themselves at, at unnecessary risk. 
Uh, we would do COVID tests in our parking lot, which like we still do. There is no Medicare code for parking lot curbside care. <laughs> uh, still isn't. Um, it, it reminds me of, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, it reminds me of Marcus Welby, M.D., Yes, um, it, it, it's 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 elegant. I mean, it, it really is elegant. Um, it is, uh, so but get, it also incorporates technology as well into that. Yeah. So it brings Marcus Welby into the 21st century yeah. uh, because, you know, I, I, right now it's popular for everyone to talk about using telemedicine. But how about using telemedicine with your doctor on your schedule at your time? And why can't you text a picture of your rash to your doctor on a Saturday and say, hey, does this look like shingles to you? It's uh, funny you should you mention that. Spend, yeah, I, um, so I had to go to New York City for a, a specialized procedure, and uh, I've got to go back there. But before I go back there, I've got two or three visits stated, you know, by telemedicine, and I do upload photos and I do upload X-rays, and uh, it's really great. It's all scheduled. I can see him; he can see me. We talk. It's done, and that shortens the time for everybody. What shortens right, the cost? There are also incredible bureaucratic rules when an insurance company is dictating how that is paid for. And, you know, so, for example, you know, historically, you, you could call up your physician practice uh, and say, hey, I need to refill my blood pressure medication, and they would call it into the pharmacy for you. Done. Now, because Medicare has said that they will pay for a telemedicine visit for your physician the same exact amount that they would pay as if it were in person, then you no longer can do that. Now what happens is they go ahead and they set up a, a telehealth visit with your doctor. Your doctor then sends a full office uh, uh, bill to your insurance company, and essentially what used to be free is now being charged $180 to your insurance company. Unless so you pay what, the doctor directly, which the doctor prefers. And, you know, that. Exactly. You know, and, and to me, I like to pay direct as much as I can. I mean, down in Mexico, let me tell you how cheap medicine is down in Mexico. Ivermectin, I can get Ivermectin, you know, for $4 for a script. <laughs> for, for the people version, not the horse version. Right. That explains yeah, the long it, face. And before it was it was impossible for me to get in my office, you know, I could buy an entire bottle of, you know, 100 tablets for, you know, $10. Oh, absolutely. Uh, these are not, yeah, these are not expensive medications. You know, we, you know, we could buy 200 hydroxychloroquine for, you know, for 15 bucks. Uh, this is, you know, this is not, you know, this stuff's been around forever. It's been used safely to treat people for other conditions for, for decades. And I've got friends that are using it now for things such as RA. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, we've been using it for decades safely. You know, if I had a patient that, that was, uh, you know, that, that needed to travel uh, and take hydroxychloroquine for malaria prophylaxis when they were still routinely using it for that, I never once questioned the safety of it for them. I just prescribed it. Do I think it works for, for COVID? I'm not impressed with the data on it. I used it early on in my practice. We've treated over 200 patients with COVID in my practice. Uh, I, I'm not impressed with the efficacy of those medicines. But you know, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not appreciative of the censorship and the the shutting down of, of scientific discourse, uh, claiming that the government has all the answers. It, it, that's not how that's not how science works. You're seeing the same thing now with with the FDA, where the government comes out with recommendations on COVID boosters before the FDA scientific panel has even had an opportunity to review the data. And now they're saying, well, they we don't have enough data to actually make those recommendations. Uh, so again, you know, when when the government's the only choice, 
Uh, and when they shut down all competition, private competition, when they shut down all dialogue of independent physicians, that's when you've lost. That's when you've lost complete control of your healthcare choices. Yeah, doctor, we've got two minutes and twelve seconds left. Uh, the public option more likely to de- deny claims, less likely to embrace new technology. Uh, talk about that for just a little bit. Anytime the government takes over a section, it, it, it knocks out something from the private sector that was doing that. Right now, we're in a time where you're having some of the most, uh, most innovation in, in healthcare that you've probably seen in, in decades. Uh, because the Affordable Care Act was such a failure, uh, because people still can't access healthcare despite the fact that they now have coverage, we've learned that coverage is not healthcare. And every time the government tries to put a government solution on, it, add, it adds more layers of bureaucracy in between the doctor and the patient. And it's not necessarily improving access. What it's doing is it's burning out your physicians so that we now have one of the most high, the highest suicide rates of physicians uh, that you've ever seen in our, in our country. You have residents graduating from residency, and in their first two years of residency, they want to leave medicine. Uh, that's how bad and how toxic the healthcare delivery system is uh, when you have you know, the, the, the third parties in between every single interaction and controlling healthcare. Yeah, because they're no longer practicing medicine; they're practicing bureaucracy. And it's and it's 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 not efficient. It's not effective. It's not good for the doctor, and it's not good for the patient. You're absolutely, Bruce. Hey, that's uh, Dr. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's show. Uh, thanks for joining, joining us, Dr. Gross. How do Inside Track listeners find out more about Docs for Patient Choice? Yeah, they can go to D, the number four, PCfoundation.org. That's Docs for Patient Care Foundation, D, the number four, PCfoundation.org. They can read more about our pra- practice at epiphanyhealth.org. Hey, thanks very much, Insiders. I hope you enjoyed today's chats with uh, Sean Fund and Dr. Lee Gross. Join us next Saturday for another special edition of Inside Track with special guest, best-selling author Susan Ronald on her new book, The Ambassador, a study of the disastrous Joseph P. Kennedy pre-war role as U.S. Ambassador to the Court of St. James. Until next Saturday for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash. Along with Eb Wilkinson. Thanks for joining us. Wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our biggest customers are actually like ranchers and people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is, A, we sell scrap to the mill, so uh, we have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back, and so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911.